about self-compassion and he's like, you know, were you compassionate with yourself? And I said, yeah, I was, I was really trying to be compassionate with myself. But the, the key to, for me was whether I had missed emails or not. And he said, well, wh- why was that key for you? And I was like, well, cause if I had missed an email and I had done something wrong, right? I'm a bad person. Then it would be different. My self-compassion that I offered myself would be very different than if I didn't miss an email. Welcome everyone. In case you are new to the podcast, I would like to take a moment to introduce myself and why I decided as a busy working mom to find the time to put this together. When I was in my late thirties, after working as a surgical physician assistant for about 13 years, I found myself severely burned out. This affected my relationships, my work, my mental, and ultimately my physical health. I felt like I didn't have time to breathe, let alone the time to find the resources to help me out of my burnout cycle. I did find a way out that has led me to a more fulfilled and joyful life. I would like to be a resource for you to do the same. I will walk you through simple steps to integrate into your busy day to help you move out of the burnout cycle. Even if you feel like you don't have time to breathe, you can do this. If I can do it, literally anybody can. Please note, because I am nowhere near perfect, I may slip up and use an occasional minor curse word for emphasis or due to raw emotion. Please be aware. Thank you so much for being here. Let's break the burnout cycle together. Are you looking for another great podcast? So if you're recovering from burnout, you're starting to learn your self-worth, you want to negotiate for higher salary and become a financially free PA, a great podcast to tune into is called The PA Is In. It's hosted by Tracy Bingaman, who is such a lovely human and has taught me so much as a PA. It's a podcast by PAs for PAs, where boundaries reign and common sense is making a comeback. You'll hear from thought leaders in medicine about legislative updates, optimal team practice, and how to heal as a whole person. Be sure to add the PA is in to your queue and tune in to the latest episode. Hey, everyone, welcome back. So today on the podcast, I want to dive into what happened to me this week because It was a tough week, but also I learned a lot from this week. And, you know, on this path to helping myself feel better and being more compassionate with myself and learning all of these lessons, I think it's important that you all know that I struggle so much with this still. And it's a journey. You know, this is a practice that I work on every single day. And my story this week was actually very poignant, at least to me, and I think could help all y'all walk through some of your stuff too. And so I just want to share it. So Monday was a tough day. It's it's our busiest day in clinic. And my um, surgeon had just come back from a week off. And so just a super, super busy day in clinic. So got through that and wasn't feeling great, was kind of feeling wore out, tired. I was feeling unappreciated So I was coming home with kind of those emotions on my sleeve. I got home way late for me, and I got home around 6.40. At 6.30, I had to pick my daughter up from her first driver's ed, which was like super interesting. She's behind the wheel of a car now, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. But anyway, so I pick her up, 
I get home around 6.40 and I have a meeting at 7 o'clock for a committee that I'm on for our state PA association. So Phil had made dinner, which was phenomenal. I shovel in dinner. I get upstairs. I'm getting on the call and again, just not feeling great. So I get on the Zoom meeting and I am sitting there taking it all in and all of a sudden there's a subcommittee update and people turn to me for that subcommittee update. I remember volunteering for a subcommittee very hesitantly in January because of the time I'm spending on the other committee I work on for our state. All I remember is sending an email saying, I hesitantly volunteer for this, but I don't have a lot of time to devote to it. And that was it. I don't remember anything else after that. Now, I very easily could have gotten more emails about this subcommittee that I do not remember getting only for the fact that I just have been really, really busy. And so when they turned to me for this subcommittee update, I go into a shame spiral because all of the people on this call are phenomenal people. And this is the story playing in my head, right? They've got their shit together. They're taking care of everything. They're taking care of their jobs. They're taking care of this committee. They're taking care of subcommittees. They're doing amazing things. And here I am in a shame spiral going, I am a bad person. I don't know how I missed these emails. I suck. I haven't done anything for this subcommittee. I didn't even know I was supposed to be doing anything for this subcommittee. So this is all going through my head and they want an update. So I literally was like, I'm so sorry. Nothing has been done. I will email the other person on this committee. I will get a meeting set up. I will work on, do I have to make a presentation? I need about four to six weeks to make a presentation. And I start just over-functioning, which is what I do when I feel like I'm a bad person, which is the core thing that I have to work on all the time. And so the rest of the meeting, I don't remember much because again, I was just in my shame spiral. I was trying to hold back tears. I felt like such a bad person. I was just beating myself up. Like, how could you miss this? How could you not be doing anything? Blah, blah, blah. And I knew in the back of my head, I was like, I really need to go check the emails because I really don't remember receiving other emails about this. And I tried after the meeting to to have some self-compassion for myself, just said, you know, you're busy, you're doing a lot of things. It's okay if you miss something. But really, I was up all night kind of warring with myself about this. So I go into work the next morning and it's still affecting me. Now I'm in like a bad mood heading into work the next morning. I told my nurse, I'm like, I'm on fire today. I go in and I look at the emails and it was the last email that was sent was me volunteering for this. So then I circle back with the main person for our state society and she was like, totally got you. We will work on this and we'll move forward together. But what was really interesting was I was going over this with my therapist saying, you know, I got into this shame spiral and I just started over-functioning. It's, at least I can see that clearly by taking a step back. I want to move to a place where I don't actually get into the shame spiral. And so he was trying to walk me through that. And as he was walking me through that, 
we talked about self-compassion and he's like, you know, were you compassionate with yourself? And I said, yeah, I was, I was really trying to be compassionate with myself. But the, the key to, for me was whether I had missed emails or not. And he said, well, wh- why was that key for you? And I was like, well, cause if I had missed an email and I had done something wrong, right, I'm a bad person, then it would be different. My self-compassion that I offered myself would be very different than if I didn't miss an email. And he said, so your self-compassion is contingent. And it really was eye-opening to me that my self-compassion is contingent as to whether I feel like I've done something wrong or not. And self-compassion is something that I need to offer myself no matter what. Even if I missed an email, I should be able to offer myself self-compassion, but I'm still making it contingent on whether I feel like a bad person or not. And that was really eye-opening to me that if I make a mistake, when I need my self-compassion the most is likely when I wasn't going to offer it as freely to myself. And that's hard. That's a hard lesson to learn. So there's that. Now, walking through this, the shame spiral I got into, so it was really interesting. I was talking to my therapist and I was talking very quickly and he was like, how could you have handled this better? And it took me a few times. I'm not going to lie. He kept coming back to it. It took me a few times to work through this. And after we talked about it for a while, I figured out that if I had said something to the effect of, I wasn't prepared to offer an update, I need to go back and check my emails and I will email y'all tomorrow after I find out what's going on with the committee. And it was interesting because he said, as soon as I said it, my tone slowed down. And maybe it did on this podcast too. Maybe you can hear the difference between how quickly I was going at the beginning and when I talked like that. And he said, I know that you're talking from your truth and standing in your power when you talk like that. And it's just interesting to me that in a moment when I feel challenged or I feel like a bad person, that I don't go there. And I that's something I need to work on. I, I really want to work on going to that place of power and standing in my truth in the moment, even if I feel concerned or worried or wondering about what people are thinking of me. A lot of this was surrounding what they were going to think of me. That's a hard truth. And and it was interesting to me to work through it with them because it gave me language. Language goes out the window for me when I feel, when I get into a shame spiral. My language gets hurried. I can't find my words. And part of that is you know, when I get into a shame spiral, then I'm starting to worry about more and more about what they're thinking about me. And then when I can't find my words, it makes it worse. And so that's why, you know, a lot of people call it shame spiral. I call it a shame tornado. I feel like it builds steam and it gets quicker and quicker and it gets harder to get out of. And it's this tornado of emotions that just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's very hard to snap out of. It was so hard for me, even talking with him. And he said, it really helps to name the emotion. He said, you know, when I get into those situations and say, oh, I'm so embarrassed. And I said, I, I, I couldn't do that. 
That's something I still couldn't stand in to say, I'm so embarrassed that I might have missed an email. Let me check my emails and get back with y'all. That was something I still couldn't imagine myself saying in the moment. Naming the emotion for me was like off the table. And that's hard. And these are all things that I still have to work on. And I really want to be able to do that. Why was I so afraid to tell people, I just need to check my emails and I'll get back with you tomorrow and I'll send everybody an email as to the updates. It just would have been much easier. Hopefully I could have slept better, but I probably would have gotten my own head about it again. These are the things I really want to work on. You know, number one, being able to recognize that I was in a shame spiral and recognize that I went into over-functioning, I think was really helpful for me, although it didn't prevent me from doing it. So I would like to be able to learn to stand in my power and talk my truth in that situation. And so that's something that I'm going to work on. And I just wonder if this helps y'all at all when you think about a situation or if you have an upcoming situation where you get into this, helps you recognize maybe the same patterns. So that's why I put this out here because it is very vulnerable for me to walk through this. So that was one little story I want to talk to y'all about. What I think it leads into is I'm reading Kristen Neff's second book. So she is a self-compassion expert, a PhD that studies self-compassion, and she had a great first book. And I think I've told you all this, but when I started my journey to feeling better, I had learned about self-compassion during my Duke Wellbeing Ambassador training. And it wasn't until three years later that I picked up her book. And it's always kind of struck me that when somebody talked about self-compassion, it kind of fired my nervous system. Like it, it, it felt unsafe to me. And it wasn't until three years into the process that I could pick up that book and feel safe with it. And I always have kind of wondered about that. Like, why was that the case? So I'm reading her second book now, and I'm going to read you a passage from this book. And so the book is called Fear Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. And it made so much sense for me. And I think it's really important to share. So I'm going to read this from the book. So the section in the book is called Difficulties with Self-Compassion. And it says, for those whose parents were inconsistent, sometimes emotionally available and sometimes not, or who were neglectful, are more likely to feel that they are unworthy and unlovable. This makes it more difficult to have self-compassion. And for those whose parents were emotionally, physically, or sexually abusive, fear can become intermingled with signals of care. In this case, it can actually be scary to give yourself self-compassion. She says in the book, my colleague, Chris Germer, a clinical psychologist and author of the insightful book, The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, frequently observed this pattern in his patients. The label he came up with for it is backdraft, a firefighting term. When a fire has begun raging in a closed or poorly ventilated room, firefighters are careful about opening doors to combat a blaze within. If oxygen inside has been used up by the fire, and doors are suddenly opened, fresh oxygen rushes in, igniting the fire even further. It can be dangerous and explosive. The same thing can happen sometimes with self-compassion. 
If we had too tightly shut the doors of our hearts to deal with early childhood pain, when we start to open our hearts, the fresh air of love comes in, bringing awareness to the suffering trapped inside. This can sometimes burst out in disturbing ways and become overwhelming. It's not just people with trauma histories that who experience backdraft either. Anyone who's used to shutting down and closing themselves off as a way of managing difficult emotions can experience backdraft when first starting to practice self-compassion. This is actually a good sign because it means the healing process has begun. That was super powerful for me because I think a lot of us in medicine shut down to manage difficult emotions. And I don't know whether that's based off of trauma or based off of parenting history or what it's based off of. But I think a lot of us may have that in common. And that may be why I couldn't pick up the book for three years. And it may be why I still have difficulty and make my self-compassion contingent upon what I feel I did wrong. Super powerful to me, super powerful passage, just helps me understand a little bit better what's going on inside of me and inside my head and why it can be so hard for me to offer myself self-compassion in the moment and also stand in my truth in the moment. I hope these little tidbits and these stories help y'all stand in your truth and help you understand how to take a step back and see maybe a shame spiral and maybe over-functioning because of it and possibly not offering yourself self-compassion as much as you possibly could. I love y'all so much. I always hope this helps. Please reach out to me, megletty23 at gmail.com. If you ever want to get in touch, tell me your story, connect, have me out for a lecture. I really love connecting with listeners. It's such a joy to me. Thank you so much for listening and taking the time for yourself. I'll see you back here next week. No matter how hard I try, I still have stress in my life. And I know this translates into inflammation in my body at the cellular level. This oxidative stress ages my cells far faster than the years I've actually been on this earth. So to combat this, I take a little yellow activator. It's five all natural ingredients in pill form that when combined together have a synergistic effect that help reduce the amount of oxidative stress on your cells by an average of 40% in 30 days. I was skeptical when I heard this, but this research was reproduced by Harvard, Ohio State, and others. I have been taking this for over a year now and have noticed increased energy, improved sleep, less aches and pains, and it takes me less time to recover from activities I don't do every day. So when we go skiing, I'm not as sore. I'm not recommending these supplements as a medical provider. I'm recommending these as a person who has seen great results and that hopes you may have improved health also. Please do your research and check with your medical provider prior to starting any supplementation. If you're really enjoying this podcast, head on over to Apple and give me a rating and review. And also click that follow button so that you know when the next podcast comes out. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.
The information, opinion, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in the podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast is not to be considered professional advice. Before starting any change in physical, mental, or dietary practice, you should consult your medical provider. 